and our friends over at Mohawk Honda. February is here, and so many great things are happening at Mohawk Honda. Do not forget that us, LeVac and Goss, Godzilla Media, will be live on location supporting the Mohawk family. Things get started on Wednesday, February 9th, noon. Check out the Mohawk Chevrolet social media pages. Is me. I'll be a host for the Tour de Wings. We're looking for the best chicken wings in the capital region. Where are they? We're going to find out as I'll be judging that at Mohawk Chevrolet. Watch that video and stop into Mohawk Chevrolet and find out about the prices that are fitting your budget right now. Looking for a new vehicle? Half Moon New York's the spot for you. Mohawk Chevrolet and, of course, Mohawk Honda. We love the Mohawk family. LeVac and I will be broadcasting live for Mohawk Honda from 4 to 5.30 on Thursday, February 10th. A little Super Bowl preview show. We're previewing the big game. We've got some big guests. A little virtual Radio Row style for this year in Mohawk Honda. I know I'm working with my guy Cam McKenna right now to get into my new pilot. Cannot wait to have it. Inventory, selection, prices, all the things that you want is right there at Mohawk Honda in Glenville. People you can trust during that carbine experience. I can run through the list of people I know there. I would love to do it, but you're going to hear those names so much. And throughout 2022... Mohawk Honda, where they always go out of their way to please you. Now, on to this week's Getting There with Goss. Another edition here of Getting There with Gaz, where we talk about the career journeys of athletes, coaches, media members, and more from upstate New York. NFL Films, Paul Camerata joins us. The Capital Region loves this guy, man. So, Paul, it's a great time for football. I want to get to all the great things that have happened in your career, but we got to start at the beginning. For those who may not know you and might not be familiar with you, take us back to a younger version of you, six, seven, eight years old. <laughs> Where'd you grow up? What'd you want to be as a kid? And was your same dream job when you were 18? All right, we'll do. So I grew up in uh, in Gilderland. Um, this is an upstate crowd, so I don't have to explain what Gil- where Gilderland is. Uh, usually, just tell everyone else I'm from Albany. But yeah, I grew up in Gilderland. Um, watched sports from the time you know before I can remember in all the ways you could. Well, now you can watch sports a lot more frequently and a lot more uh, voraciously. It feels like, but yeah, Mets fan. So I was six when the Mets won the, the World Series in '86. So sort of was uh, bitten by that bug and, and still have it. And, of course, the Giants won the Super Bowl that year. Um, so that kind of set those two teams in place for me. And then a couple of years later, latched on to Notre Dame, became a Notre Dame fan. Those are probably the three biggest teams that I followed as a kid and still follow pretty much, yeah, I would say in that order. I probably get, I probably still yell at the TV most for Notre Dame uh, and then and then the Giants and, uh, and the Mets in, in that order uh, these days. But, yeah, so I'm still – in that sense, the things I was watching when I was a kid, I'm still watching now and uh, have had the good fortune to be able to get paid to do it. Um, back then, I wanted to be pretty early on. I wanted to be a writer. I always liked writing. Uh, like, I mean, writing and reading. There's two things I was always doing, um, not just sports, but definitely sports. I mean, Sports Illustrated, Sports Illustrated for kids, comic books, all the things that, that you're reading as a kid and, um, you know, cutting out. The, thing, the things I was, I look back now, a couple of things I was doing that ended up, I guess, maybe were the seeds of becoming a filmmaker were not just reading Sports Illustrated, but cutting out the pictures and building collages and hanging them on my wall and all that kind of thing. I was always into like the imagery of it. 
um, in addition to writing to writing about it. And so really just kind of kept following that path and uh, sort of did it on the side as a hobby. Um, you know, I'd write about things. I had no outlet. I'd be like a teenager, but I'd be writing stories about a game that happened on Sunday or, or whatever. Um, and then by the time I got to college, I was able to, I wouldn't say, well, kind of continue to gain a little traction, you know, working in an SID department and then writing about, uh, writing about college sports, um, while I was a student. Uh, and then, yeah, the part, the writing and the love for sports kind of parlayed into, into my career, just kind of one, one step kept following the next. So, oh, yeah, let's sit on that college stuff. For those who don't know, why did you pick the college you decided to attend, uh, why? What'd you do there? Take us through that process of selecting a college when you have an idea of sort of what you want to do. So I already, I mentioned I was a Notre Dame fan from when I was eight, nine years old and talk about a bug that, that bit me. That one's definitely stuck. And that was like, that was my dream. I wanted to go to Notre Dame and probably at the beginning, I didn't even really know why, I guess, cause they had a great football team. And from 88 to 93, they had a really great football team. So it was easy to, easy to fall in love with, with that magic. Um, you know, it was, it was the whole classic Notre Dame story. By the time I, I we went to a game when I was in like seventh grade, my sister ended up going there. And so that love kind of just snowballed and like, all right, that's that's this magical place. I want to go there and had a great experience um, where it sort of intersected with my my passion for writing and for sports. Uh, this was sort of one of those happy accidents. Uh, and I can remember this very clearly being at the it's not there anymore. I don't think it's not the Barnes and Noble on Wolf Road which was like a revelation when the Barnes and Noble opened. It was this enormous bookstore and the newspaper at that time, the newspaper and magazine section in the front was just, you know, huge. And, and there were publications and periodicals from all over the place. Well, one of them I remember wandering in there one day was a print a newsprint. Uh, I mean, it was weekly during the season, but monthly the rest of the year uh, newspaper called blue and gold illustrated. And it was a Notre Dame football uh, publication independent from the university and they, they printed it and they sent it all over the country. And so at that point I was like, it was like the greatest thing that ever happened. Oh my gosh, there's a thing where I can just read about Notre Dame football. So I started subscribing to that, reading that I would write the editor letters. I would like write pieces and send them to him. I remember I wrote this story about Derek Mays and Ron palace and, you know, uh, in 96 and I was writing them and trying to get comments on my, on my writing and this editor, the thing called, uh, I was a guy named Tim Priester and he actually wrote me back. It was one of those moments. I had two moments. Tim Priester wrote me back and uh, the gr- late, great Dick Schapp wrote me back once. I sent him an article, an article. I, I, was a, I wrote this thing about Mickey Mantle, right? And, and I sent after Mickey Mantle died and I sent it to Dick Schapp and Dick Schapp wrote me a letter back, like three sentences, but it was like, hey, you know, a lot of promise. Keep at it. You know, hard work. You have to just keep at it with, with writing. It's like, and he, had, and he actually wrote a couple of comments in the manuscript. And those two moments were really like breakthrough things like, oh, my gosh, somebody responded, you know, and I think it was just you, you, you keep getting these little sort of pats in the back and bits of encouragement. So I kept doing it, kept chasing it. So I get to Notre Dame as a student. Again, I mentioned uh, got a job at the SID's office. That was cool. You're writing stories for the for the programs for football and, and basketball. Well, the beginning of my sophomore year, I go to one of these um, English major career night things. And who's speaking at it, but Tim Priester, the editor of Blue and Gold Illustrated, who was a Notre Dame alum. He still, of course, lived in South Bend and was very forth, uh, forthcoming with his time, very giving to, to come and give back to Notre Dame when he could. So after the meeting, I went up to him and I introduced myself and I said, and again, my eyes are white, like, like this is like, I'm in awe, right? Because this is part of sort of the, the magic of what brought me to this, to this place. 
And so I ended up writing him a letter and saying, I would love to work for you, blah, blah, blah. Well, I ended up, they had, they had a position. This was like 99, 2000 internet is very new. They were just starting to move to doing stories online and have a website. So they sort of were looking for some extra hands. Well, I got to write for blue and gold illustrated. At first I was just going to practice at the end of practice. I would go and a little more than a stringer, but a little less than a beat reporter for sure. Um, getting quotes, writing up these little stories, they put them on the website. By the time I got to be a junior or senior, I actually got to go sit in the press box. And then by senior year, I traveled to games. Um, you know, this is like incredible. I mean, I'm doing the thing I was doing when I was 14, you know, getting paid for it um, and getting to watch Notre Dame from in the press box. And I'm still a student there. So I, I kept getting these little bits of encouragement and sort of, you know, those moments, like they say, you have to sort of take initiative. And, and I, I was rewarded when I, when I, again, you go up and introduce yourself to somebody and I had good fortune. So I'm getting to the end of uh, college. And again, in my mind, I want to be a writer, 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 writer. Sports Illustrated is still the thing from, again, back, back on my mind as a little kid. This is where I want to go. Frank DeFord, he was my hero, right? Like I wanted, I wanted to write like Frank DeFord. The greatest thing, <laughs> I remember thinking, reading that Gary Smith, the, the, the great feature writer, he got to write like three stories a year. Maybe it was four. And that was like the pinnacle. If you got to be Gary Smith, they let you do three or four pieces. You get to spend three months on one of them. Like that's what everybody would want to do. I'm like, that's it. That sounds like the greatest thing anybody could, could have as a job. So my, I'm getting to the end of college and I start looking for writing jobs. And again, at that time, it's newspaper jobs. I kind of figured out, well, you're probably not going to go right to Sports Illustrated. So newspaper jobs, um, small magazines. And it was kind of in the spring and there really wasn't traction yet and sort of sending out some applications. Well, this was another just total blessing, cosmic thing. NFL Films was hiring uh, that year sort of a, a small group of, of new entry-level positions. And they were recruiting at schools where they had had some success hiring people in the past. And fortunately for me, Notre Dame happened to be one of them. So they had a job posting on our career site. And I'm like, well, NFL Films, I've heard of that. I know what that is. Um, and the two things they were interested in when you applied were your writing background and samples and do you love football? And they didn't care. And so I'm like, well, I got that. And the thing that they were sort of vocal about not caring about was we don't necessarily care if you've ever had a production class or any production experience or been a filmmaker or been in television or broadcast. If you can write and you love football, those are the two most fundamental things we can't teach you. and We need you to have when you get here and we'll teach you how to be a filmmaker in the fashion that we want you to be. So, I mean, that was as dumb luck as it comes because I had the things they wanted. I didn't have the things they didn't need, but that they were willing to, to teach. And, I, it had never occurred to me that writing and television were connected to each other. And now it's like, how could you have not? I just didn't. I just was so like, I guess myopic about print and, and writing and whatever, and the things that I had read. So that was really, if, if that, if they hadn't done that, that's one of those things, I guess I would have gone into writing and who knows what, I hope I would have, uh, who knows what would have happened, especially as you know, the interesting evolution of, of media in the last 20 years. And, what, what's become of newspapers and magazines and even what were web sort of legacy websites then 20 years ago, what are they now? So I was very fortunate that my interests and passions kind of kept intersecting with the next thing that blossomed into what could become a career and, and a sustainable career in terms of, you know, what we now call content, right? It's, it's a, uh, it's format and duration and platform agnostic as they like to say. Yes. And I have a question about content coming up a little bit later, but even hearing you retell that story, 
I can feel it. I think you've probably throughout your career understood the perspective of what this is of you landed basically your dream job in college. You talked about how that's what you wanted to do. Like you're a Notre Dame fan. You get to do it as a teenager or an upperclassman in college. And the first job you apply for, the first job you get out of college is for NFL. Paul, I don't know anybody else who has that. <laughs> I, have you talked to people who have any type of similar journey like this where it's like you just are stepping to the plate you just hit two home runs on two swings? Well, I appreciate you saying I I don't I, – I I, I've very been very fortunate and been very blessed to have those opportunities. Um, I, I think at this point it took me a long time just the, the, the journey and the experience and the perspective and the years – and not for, you know, not for any, when you would see your peers who you graduated college with from wherever they ended up going and where they started and what, what, what industry they're in, most people um, have had different, either work for different places or moved to different cities or even changed professions or industries altogether. Um, so I, I've been, I'm still excited and passionate about doing the, that same thing I was doing 20 years ago. And that's the thing I can look back now and go, well, that feels a little distinct from a lot of the people like people change for a lot of reasons. And, and I, I still love the thing that I do. Um, so I was, I was lucky to kind of get in at the beginning and again, get in, in an environment where they were so into uh, they had such a wide tent, right. And such a warm embrace of, if you have these things, we can, we can teach you the rest and we can help you. And, and it's funny. I remember they would say like, in some ways we, we like it better if you haven't had that experience because we want to mold you in the way that we have a very distinct style. And at the time, this is 20 years ago. And so NFL films is about 60 ish years old. So go back 20 years. My, my first, not my direct bosses, but their bosses, many of them were sort of the founding fathers of the company, right? So these were the people that invented this style. I, I use the, the, the comparison. If you could work for, uh, if you could work in the lab with Thomas Edison, you know, and, and you were, you liked electricity and you got to work for Thomas Edison, the guy who sort of invented the light bulb or perfected it. That's what it feels like because, you know, Steve Sable uh, was still an active part of the company. And, and I mean, he, I had the experience of him commenting on my work and, and giving me feedback and working on shows that he was an active part of one of my first um, and still longest running. He's retired now, but one of my greatest mentors was a guy named Bob Ryan. Bob Ryan was the NFL films producer, one of literally the first employees at the company in 1965. Ed Sable hired him. Bob Ryan was the head of the department for years. He was the producer of the 1978 Dallas Cowboys highlight film, which you might not know what that is, but you'll know the title because it's called America's Team. Bob Ryan's the guy that gave the Cowboys that nickname. So he was this huge influential part of the company. I mean, I got to work for him directly. And all these other these people, uh, guys like – I mean – it's, it's TV geekery, but guys like Dave Plout and Steve Seidman and, and Dave Douglas and Phil Tuckett, all these people who were there at the beginning were there at the beginning. Um, so that's another just incredible, good piece of fortune that I had and, um, and got to learn the style from the people who, who created it. Um, so it's, it's, it was a, it was a, it was great fortune. It was a, it was a, it was a gift really. I and mean, it's the kind of thing you feel like you're carrying on, you have this ability and this responsibility to, carry on what you've inherited and hopefully uh, pay it forward um, to people that come after you. Yeah. The prestige, the legacy, the quick understanding of this is a huge deal and people who work in sports or want to have a media job would love to be where I am. And with that being said, probably early on, and maybe not that because you had the passion to be a writer, you might have not exactly known what direction you wanted to take 
your job in NFL films, which way it was going to go, what you were good at, what you weren't good at. Take us through those first couple of years where you're kind of finding out where you're having success and where you're having failure. And if you want to do that, stories of some of the failures you had learning along the process, share those as well. I think that again, I, I can't take credit. I, I I can't take credit for it. Was it was the it was the the model there was very conducive to creativity and following your passion. So I was hired into this into the producer department. And as, as a producer at NFL Films, well, again, what I learned this later, producer is one of those words that means a lot of things to a lot of people in a lot of places. Well, there what it meant was you're, you're a filmmaker, but that means you are sort of expected to uh, generate ideas, write treatments, you know, pit, pitch them in front of a room. If they're greenlit, go out, uh, pre-produce them, research found footage. We have such an incredible archive. Go through old footage. Um Go out in the field and direct. Work with camera operators. Work with sound engineers and 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 uh, and um, you know audio recorders in the field. Really follow the whole process, including edit the film. I mean, again, back in the day, they would literally these the producers were editing the film with their hands on flatbed um, editing machines. By the time I got there, we were you know digital nonlinear um, systems. But you know, edit the film, write the script, do do every part of the process. So that's where. I was fortunate again to have those two sort of tentpole pieces of foundation in my writing interest and my love for football and all those other things that I liked as a little kid started sort of percolating back to the surface. So I talked about cutting pictures out of, out of magazines or, you know, I used to draw all the time. I still you know draw a doodle now and again, like having this sort of um, having this sort of very visual um, interest and inclination for how I absorb sports and how I experience them became suddenly more important. Uh, my sister was a musician. She was always singing and playing instruments in the house. Uh, and I, and even my, you know, my parents, they never played popular music. They were always playing classical music. Well, that seemed to, it was like this fell into working at NFL films, right? Because I had this sort of grounding in different types of music. And that became really important, particularly in our, uh, in, in sort of the education I received the way the, Steve Sable's belief in the use of music and film was paramount. And so again, this other sort of thing for my background, it all kind of connected and like I said, I never it never occurred to me that when you when you write with a pen and a piece of, and a piece of paper, that's the seed of a film or a television show. Um, but it, it's one part of it, but all these other parts were connected. And and the other fortunate part of it for me was, and it's still true to this day. Again, I, I love the writing. I keep saying that writing or writing. But because I didn't have a, a strong, I might have had an interest, but I didn't have a background or an expertise in these other areas it constantly was like these new things I was, I was discovering, right? So discovering how to use music, discovering how to take a movie I watched that I love in the movie theater and, and extrapolate on a shot that they use and figure out how to capture a, something at a football game that way. Right. So you're, you're always finding these new things you never thought about before. And it's like, I don't know, it's kind of like being, it's like kind of being like an arts art class or arts and crafts all the time. Like how can we use, what do we have to do? What's the job? What story are we trying to tell? And, you know, again, you know, what's it now? It's like, what's our budget? How much time do we have? And take all those guardrails and figure out and design the machine with great teammates uh, who are experts in all those fields, respectively, to, to put the whole thing together. That's it. And that's the other thing that I learned. Writing, at least at the level, the low level of being a kid and doing it, I always you imagine it as this very solitary pursuit. Filmmaking is the exact. And maybe it's not when you, you know, be, I don't know if it becomes your profession. I can't speak to that. But filmmaking is the exact opposite. There are many element parts of it that you have to do by yourself in a quiet room, but they are 
one fraction of the process, right? It's, it's such a team effort. Um, the best films are a hundred percent executed by teams and people who are again, great and incredibly talented cinematographers, incredibly talented sound mixers, incredibly talented, all those things, incredibly talent, talented, you know, coordinators and field producers who, who handle logistics and put people in the right places and, and solve problems. You know um, you need all of that to make a movie. And um, that's an energy and a collective sort of team thing that I didn't know about. And I've been fortunate to experience uh, at films. There are so many films I could sit on and ask. I feel like we could do a whole nother podcast about each film that the NFL films <laughs> team has created over the last plus decades. There is one, I would almost call it a weekly movie. And I think, you know what I'm talking about here. Your work on Hard Knocks, the NFL films work on Hard Knocks. That show overall seems like it's truly evolved from when it first launched to now we're sitting at a point in 2022. We have the Indianapolis Colts. We're in season Hard Knocks. Take us through some of the things you've seen on that evolution of the show, your role, how it's happened over the past few years, and uh, what goes on behind the scenes that maybe you could share with us that's some of the best kept secrets. Before Paul tells us about, oh God, oh baby, that's not good. Before Paul tells us about Hard Knocks, we've got to tell you about the people that make this podcast possible. And that's John Stone Supply in Troy. Right there in Troy, we love our crew. Shout out to George, Tom, Kemp, James, Rob, everybody. 518-272-5922. The winner is here. You might be heading down to your basement wondering, Ooh, does this furnace need an update? Does this boiler need an update? What if there's a leak? What if something's happening? It could be your friends. It could be your family. It could be anybody. 518-272-5922. That is the number to call if you want to get out of the dilemma and you want to work with professionals to help you get that best advice for the things that are important and making sure everybody's safe. Plus, if you stop over to 6th Avenue in Troy, they've got those competitive prices for the projects you might be working on this winter. Facebook, give them a like, follow them, leave them a comment. Thank them for all the great stuff they've done for us here in the Capital Region for decades plus. And if you haven't worked with Johnstone Supply in Troy quite yet, now's the best time to do it. We love the crew at Johnstone Supply in Troy, and now you can find out why we're such big fans of these guys. One more time on that number, 518-272-5922. Hit 2 and connect with those guys who want to help you figure out those situations. And trust us when we say this. Those things, the furnaces, the John Goodman furnaces, the boilers, and more will make your winter so much easier. It's Johnstone Supply in Troy. And our guy, Jared Lozier at Northeastern Insurance. It's awesome when you're working with partners and people and you start hearing other people compliment their work. Maybe they don't even realize you're partners with them. That was an awesome situation I had to have with Jared Lozier where business is telling me about how much money and how big of a help it was having Jared on their side. Now, maybe you're a business owner. Maybe something's happened in your life that you're maybe not prepared for. Or you've just flat up been spending too much for the insurance policies you have. Let someone shop the market for you. You should do it every year. 2022, here we are at the start. You don't know if your rights are maybe competitive enough to be hanging with it. And maybe you can save some cash. Email Jared today. J-A-R-E-D-L at N-E-Mail.com. Get one more time. J-A-R-E-D-L at N-E-Mail.com. Ask for a quote. Say, hey, listen again there with guys. I've been looking for quotes. Simple and easy. What can you get me that maybe somebody else can't? He's the guy who can make it happen for you. Or give him a call today. 518-956-3753. Go slower for you. So you can write this one down for our guy, Jared Lowe's here. 518-956-3753. Call him and say, hey, I heard this on Getting There With Gaz. I'm just looking for a quote. I want to make sure I'm saving the right money. Maybe I want to work with you for the future. Jared Lozier, 
Northeastern Insurance. All right, come on, Paul. Tell us about Hard Knocks, man. We want to hear about it. Yeah, so Hard Knocks is a great – it's a great um, – the thing that's very distinct about Hard Knocks in our building, and it's actually what's – it's one of the things that when I started to work on it in earnest, I, I benefited from it. And it, it sort of, it, it expanded the trajectory, like what my, what my, how I thought about what we did and, and, and how to, again, how to solve problems and be creative in a different environment. Hard Knocks is the, probably the most quick turnaround show that we do as filmmakers, even during the week, our weekly shows during the season, you know, games are shot on Sunday and again, and, um, and a show might come out Tuesday or Wednesday, which is only a couple of days but weekly shows that are derivative of the games, the script and the story sort of come to you. Our operators go out in the field, they shoot the game. We, we can sort of see what the story points are. And then it's just a matter of digesting the footage and editing it together. The difference with Hard Knocks is there is no script. It's happening in real time. Like, you know, we would say like a reality show in that. And, and up until now, I'll, I'll sort of speak about it in two phases. There's everything up before this season. We'll talk about first when it was just exclusively the training camp show you know, you kind of knew when camp started, you knew when it ended, you knew when the preseason games were, but almost everything else we would be figuring out in the pre-production and even in the field phases, who are the great characters on this, on this team? Who are the fringe players on the roster that are really fighting for their professional lives? Who are the superstars that don't have to worry about making the team, but are just really incredible, interesting television. Um, And then how do you put that together in an interesting fashion week over week for the, for that five week period of, of, of training camp um, and not knowing, you know, you might, you might start following a rookie in week one. You don't know where his camp's going to end. It could end the next day with an injury. It, it could end the, the last day of camp when he gets cut, it could continue past camp when he makes the team. So the challenge becomes how do we sort of build these characters and follow their journey without knowing what the ending is, right? When you're scripting a movie, you know, the ending you can build to, you know, pick the movie, you, you know, Marty's going to go back in time at the end of back to the future. How are we going to get him there? Um, we don't know what's going to happen with certain rookies and hard knocks. And so it's a challenge of following it in real time and still dramatizing it the way we would with any, with any of our sort of long runway films. The other challenge of it is doing all that in a very, like I said, very quick turnaround. So the production week might be, I have to try, try and put it back on my brain now. You know, from like a from like a like a Monday to like a to like the following Sunday, and then the show's going to air Wednesday, and so every day that foot piles and piles and piles of footage are coming in. You're digesting it. The team is is going through it, sifting it, building out the sequences, and then really by the end of the week, and typically during August, it the, it will culminate in a preseason game that is often at or near the end of an episode. So that becomes the dramatic ending of that show. And then you have to sort of engineer, often reverse engineer the episode to the ending you you inherited at the end of the process. And then a day later, start all over again. So that's a really quick thing. Again, it's because the script is being sort of determined in real time. Um, the in-season, so this year, like you mentioned, was the first year we did it in-season with the Colts. And gosh, what was different? It was all that and more. And it was the challenge of extrapolating not over five weeks, but over 16 weeks. Um, and the Colts were an incredible franchise to work with. Uh, they were incredible, incredibly friendly and forthcoming with access. They were incredibly uh, interesting. I don't know if everybody knows the Colts, particularly on, on the East Coast, but some of their characters, because some of them are young guys, Jonathan Taylor. Um, I think Darius Leonard broke out a little bit this year and last year, but you know he's, he's, his profile is rising. 
Um, you know, down here in New Jersey area, they know Carson Wentz, of course, uh, very well from his time in Philadelphia. Frank Reich, right? Incredibly interesting. Bills fans know Frank Reich. Incredibly interesting character. Really good guy. Low key, not like loud and 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 um, and sort of brash, like like the vision of some football coaches. But a really really thoughtful, reflective, um, compassionate, articulate. Just a great leader. So he was a great guy to follow uh, as well in terms of, and they, you know, look, their season had some ups and downs to it. Um, and they, they fought their way back into the playoff race. Um, really from, from, I think they were one and they're either one and three or I think they're own three and then one and four, if I remember correctly, don't quote me, but, uh, but an interesting season and interesting people. So we had that challenge again. It's like, tell that story in real time, be respectful of the guys who are, living with real stakes every day, right? Because in the NFL, at the end of the season, it's how many, you know, what were the wins and losses? Did you make the playoffs? People lose their jobs. So that's another challenge. It's like, how do you be very respectful of, you're making a television show, you want to make it as dramatic as possible, but these are real people and they're going through real challenges. You know, sometimes it's an injury. Um, A lot of guys in the Colts had babies this year. I don't know if it just happened to work out this year that they were covering them. So a lot of just families, you know, you're covering these family stories as well. Um, they, the, the team itself is a family story. Uh, the Ursay family, Jim Ursay and his daughters are now sort of taking the baton and, and starting to run the team. Um, so a lot of dynamics, and a lot of levels that the raised stakes of the regular season um, sort of helped punctuate the, the drama of a, of a football team from the inside as we had never done it before. Go check it out. It's always good stuff. Love what's happening with Hard Knocks every season. It's a, a delight both. You kind of find yourself rooting for that team, even if it's not your favorite NFL team before the season starts. You find yourself rooting for those players and all the characters throughout the season. It's been interesting. and You've been right there watching this evolution happen with just the NFL in general, where you could make a case 20 years ago that NFL talk wasn't on every sports channel 24-7 where there truly was no offseason where you guys now, it feels like at NFL Films, have been doing that. That's been your job for decades to cover the NFL. And now everyone's almost playing catch-up with you guys. Uh, another two-part question here. How is that, if at all, changed the way you guys deliver content to your audience? And I know these get dangerous trying to predict the future of media companies. We'd be rich if we all knew the hmm. answers to these. But what do you feel like is the next few years and maybe decade of NFL Films? I, I think the answer for both is kind of, just because it's impossible to to imagine the opposite is is really speed. Um, you know, the, the football week has evolved in our lifetimes from essentially, well, even when our lifetimes, it's been Sunday, Monday, right? Then it was Sunday night, it was Sunday, Sunday night, Monday. Uh, you know, then you'd have the occasional Saturday games. Now Thursday, Thursday games are a fixture now. We sort of don't at the beginning, it was like, what's this? But now that that's normal. And then I, I always point to this too, like the the, um, the games in London. That's part. It's just normal now. You know, it's it's when there when there's games. However many weekends a week a year that we have games that are nine thirty in the morning on the East Coast uh, on a Sunday. It's sort of become part of of the normal cadence of pro football that there's more of it during the week, and that the week sort of then gets shortened. You're not waiting till Sunday anymore like when we were kids. You get you get pro football on Thursday night. What that's done from our content schedule is it sort of turns the it's in many instances it turns the week over sooner. So we're sort of done recapping. You know, we used to be done recapping Sunday on Thursday or Friday. We're sort of done recapping the the, the week on Tuesday now. The the, ga- the show I cut my teeth on under Bob Ryan was a show. It's been one of our longest running shows inside the NFL. It used to be on on HBO. Now it's on Showtime, Paramount Plus. Even that, right? So it's it's 
from sort of a linear to another to another linear to now streaming. Inside the NFL, when I started, aired on Thursday nights, and it was the cinematic packages of Sunday's games. It now airs on Tuesday. Now, some of that, of course, is technology driven, right? When I started, they were they were um, shooting games on 16 millimeter film, bringing them back from the stadiums, developing the film. Like it was just it was a slower process. Now we feed footage back while the game is happening from each stadium. So everything gets accepted. We have the material quicker. We're able to go through it quicker. And of course the clients and the, and the fans, they want to digest it sooner, right? They want to see what happened Sunday as soon as they can, particularly we're very fortunate with our infrastructure of what we could do sound wise and capturing, you know, through wires and, and the bench, we're able to bring layers to the storytelling that you, no matter how much football you watch on Sunday, you don't get to hear what Travis Kelsey was saying to Patrick Mahomes until the film's version of it comes out. Um, so I think the speed is, has changed and will continue. Again, it's never going to – I can't imagine it ever going backwards. To the extent we can we – could, if we could deliver the show on Monday, maybe someday we will. Um, or there will be other versions of, of shows that we deliver on Monday that are that account for – you know maybe we can, it can't include the Monday night game, but it still comes out earlier in the week than ever before. Um, and access, right? The more layers you can peel back, because because it, it's still evolving. There's a, you know, it's like anything. You say, well, there's that famous quote: "All all good ideas have been thought of," right? But then that's not true. There's always more. Well, when they did Hard Knocks with the Ravens in the summer of 2001, well, that was revolutionary, and it was. But you know, it really was a 20 year evolution to get to Hard Knocks with the Colts in the season. So it went from you know five weeks with one team that was down the road, shot on DigiBeta tapes and put together and, and gotten on the air probably by the end of the week. I'm not sure what, what, what day that aired to hard knocks with the Colts quicker turnaround, deeper, deeper embed than we've ever had before. Um, I think getting closer and closer to players and storylines and getting them delivered as quickly as possible without sacrificing the quality. It will always be the goal. It's just what tools do we have to, to make that happen? Well, this podcast is getting there with Gaza. We'd like to close with this question for our students who maybe Gilderland or at CBA or maybe even Notre Dame. Maybe someone's listening is like, okay, I'm going to follow Paul's path and go to Notre Dame. What is the best advice you could offer them to get where you are in your career? Yeah, um, I think the only thing I could say that, I mean, this is what worked for me. I just never really looking back on it and looking forward, never stopped doing things that, interested me and I was passionate about and, and I'd love to do. So whether it was writing, uh, whether it was, you know, the things I read and finding ways to incorporate that into my, my creative, you know, um, there's a very, there's a lot, it's very blurry between what I might have to work, re, be reading or researching for work and what I might be interested in reading in my own, in my own life. Again, even to the extent that I was, when I was a little kid, I would draw and, 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 and read comic books and that visual sort of passion um, ended up being very, I think would help me become, able to make films. So I think if, if people can, um, you know, follow their bliss is probably the best way to put it and chase the things that you love. And, and, you know, cause it's true that cliche, you, you, it's not, it doesn't feel like work. Um, you still have to work hard at it. Uh, it is still hard work. Um, you know, just cause you have enjoy your job. Don't let somebody tell you that, that it's, it's not still hard work. It is, but it won't ever feel like as hard of a lift if it's something you enjoy doing. Um, yeah, I guess that's it. Never, never stop doing what you love. And if you're lucky, it'll, it'll, it'll help you stumble into, to getting paid for it. 
Well, Paul, we're proud of you here in the Capital Region, upstate New York, for all the great things you've done throughout your career. I got you during a little bit, a few days before the Super Bowl, conference champions are on the way. I know it's going to be crazy busy for you, so thank you for carving out some time for me. Uh, hopefully all goes well and you get some sleep during the next few weeks here with the Super Bowl on the way. Keep up the great work, man. We appreciate you spending some time with us today. Guys, thanks for having me on. I appreciate you guys.